Good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to see everyone, and uh, thank you for joining us here in person and online. Uh, if you're a guest with us here today, uh, we ask that you fill out the Connect card that you will find on the back of the pew, and uh, just leave it in your seat. Uh, you can give today um, with the, the, mail, the mailbox kind of thing, uh, the Dropbox at the back of the room, um, or you can give online at uh, cypressstreet.church forward slash give. So you can drop a check, cash, or give online, and we certainly appreciate that. Um, let's see. So there are some meditation journals that you can find uh, in the foyer today. Um, so check those out. Super cool. Uh, and coming up tomorrow, there's going to be some serving at Grace Place. Should have found out some details on that. Um, but uh, I'm sure you can find out something if you'd like to know more. Um, and the next week we'll be having Carvin Adams speaking with us. Uh, but of course this week we have Ray Owens. We're excited to see you again this week. Uh, okay. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, pray together. God, thank you for allowing us to gather physically today, but also uh, allowing us to have the technology to attend online. Please help us focus our minds and our hearts on you today as we, uh, we worship and uh, learn more about you and how to live like you and to live the way you would like us to live. God, please help us to carry you with us throughout the week and each day of our lives. Amen. Uh, and up next, uh, we have Adam and Lindsay. They're going to come share the candle of hope with us. Hope. It's just one of those things. One of those things that can lead to great excitement. And great disappointment. The hope for a good grade. The hope for a clean bill of health. The hope for relational faithful faithfulness. The hope that things really will work out for good. And then hope lets you down. You didn't make the grade. The illness has returned. Your relationship has been betrayed. Things are not working out like you'd hoped. And now what? Do you dare to hope again? Do you dare to trust again? Do you dare to take a step of faith again? Where do you find a hope that will last? A hope that will satisfy. A hope that won't let you down. A hope that works in this thing called life. We can find hope in the God of all hope. In the God who is strong enough to act. In the God who cares enough to act. No matter what happens, there is still hope. Hope was born in a manger. Hope became a person. Hope breathed and lived among us. Hope is here. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is our hope. All right, so I teased it earlier, um, and uh, it's that Ray Owens is here to speak for us. So come on, Ray. I, got, I heard a little bit of that feedback we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, it's good to see you, each of you in the house of the Lord on a beautiful day. Man, it wasn't it, man, driving down I-20, the mist was flowing all around my car from the 18-wheelers, the tires were slipping and sliding, and I was kind of thinking about that song, Singing in the Rain, you know. It, that's only for old people, only, or if you watch the Nostalgic Channel or something where you can see that movie. And it's Christmas time, so as you know, they've already started Christmas music. Christmas movies and all that, so I don't know how many times we'll see Miracle on uh, uh, 34th Street or whatever it is. We'll see that a bunch of times as well. Uh, I want to mention something about Grace Place. I want to thank all of you. Your church has been so faithful in supporting that ministry and partnering along with us uh, to do that, so I want to thank you. And I think tomorrow we've got uh, two brave souls that uh, will be there at 930 to help us get things ready. Uh, we are not staying there to serve, 
But um, let's see, James Vickery and Dale Green will be there in the morning about 9.30 to help with that. And then just a couple of us actually from our church. And uh, um, we're, we're suffering from some coronavirus in our staff and ministry at North Crossing. So uh, in addition to kind of doing this today, I may be, I think I'm doing Wednesday night and next Sunday at North Crossings uh, as well. So it's out there. It's crazy. Uh, it's just uh, insane. In fact, I was planning another trip to Kansas to, you know, I married Miss Kansas, and I was going to take her back for Christmas, but her city of Hutchinson is like 68% t- positive test rate, and they're really recommending nobody come. So we're trying to be faithful uh, with that as well. I'm excited to be here and uh, uh, real excited about uh, the opportunity in a couple weeks to share some Christmas messages, but today's message, um, if you look on your outline, I kind of conclude the sermons that I've been speaking to you on in in Genesis, and I just love the Word of God. I mean, even Genesis is so alive and well and speaks to us today, and this really, I didn't realize it at the time, uh, because actually the way the schedule was, Uh, When I was laying this all out, I I thought I might be speaking earlier and some things uh, happened, and it worked out perfect. This really leads into Christmas uh, today, so I think that uh, we'll try to uh, uh, work together to see that, how it wraps up that and leads us into Christmas as well. Uh, There's a story of a little boy and his dad, and they were sitting in church just like you are here, or if you're at home, you can uh, imagine that as well. And it was time for the offering and the dad had given the boy some change that he had. It just so happened that what he gave him kind of was rare, 50 cents piece and a nickel. And um, I don't know if you know anything about child development, but there's an age where it doesn't matter. Like if you give a child a nickel and a dime, there's a period they'll take the nickel because it's bigger, you know. And I know some adults that still think bigger is better. But I'm going to be honest with you, you ask any woman to look at that diamond, yeah, bigger's better, but that little diamond's better than many other things that they have that are big. You know, like, gentlemen, if you have a choice for Christmas to buy your wife a diamond ring, a real small, beautiful diamond ring, or a huge vacuum cleaner, I just want to tell you, um, I will give you some advice on that, and, and I'd pick the smaller is better. Well, that's what was going on. So the little fella had it there. He had a, a 50 cent piece. You know, they're huge. And he had a nickel. And, uh, and, and, he, and I want to make sure I get this straight. He said, Daddy, what should I do? Because, you know, it was offering time. It was coming up. And he says, Son, put one in the offering and keep one for yourself. Well, which one should I put in? And the dad said, Son, you'll have to figure that out for yourself. Well, the boy was looking at one coin, looking at the other coin. He was struggling with it. Um, Dad was a little disappointed when he put in the nickel when the offering uh, time came around. A little disappointed. Well, later, as they were in the pickup truck going home, the dad had to ask, son, uh, why did you choose to put in the nickel? He said, daddy, I was going to put in the 50-cent piece, then just before we passed the plate, The pastor said, God loves a cheerful giver. And God knows I would be a lot more cheerful if I had the 50 cent piece. And I like that. (laughs) In other words, that was a little test, right, for this little fella. And sometimes in life we have tests too. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in this scripture that all of us from the time we've been a child have heard. I want to ask you a couple questions about life and about you. It doesn't mean you answer out loud, okay? Rhetorical. If God were to take you to a special spot to test your character, how would you do? If God were to ask you to put the most precious thing that you have, the the most precious possession that you have, if he asked you to lay it on the altar of sacrifice, the question is, what would it be? What is your number one possession? I have to admit, mine have changed from time to time. You know, this was something when I was a little kid. This was something my first car obviously was. Now I wouldn't want it. Okay, not my first one. I might take my second one because I could sell it on bare auction. But not my first one. (laughs) You know, it's funny how we have certain things. What is your number one possession? And then 
What would you do if the Lord asked you to lay it down? Well, as you know, we've been studying, uh, I think only maybe six sermons we've had on this. I had about eight, actually, that it just kept going and going. At some point, Ray Owens, you've got to stop this thing. And I, we've been talking about Abraham. And really what it is, if I just find, name that series that we've been talking about in Genesis, it's kind of like a, a man or a woman learning to walk with God. Going from understanding there was no personal God, no personal relationship, and Abraham comes along and he, he has faith and he leaves his homeland. You didn't do that back in the day unless you were wanted by the law or something else. I mean, he, he left his land. What all he went through, the mistakes he made and all these things, the faith. And then at a, you know, over 100 years old, He's got a son now and all that. So if you'll look with me at our scripture, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation, and I think that's what we have on your outline. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, and I'm only going to read 14 verses because I have a lot to cover and a short time to get there. So I want to go along. The word of the Lord, Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here am I. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac, Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering, and he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day of their journey, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abram told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then notice this, and then we will come right back. So Abram placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, son. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for burnt offering? God will provide for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the Mount Moriah, where God had told him to go. Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place two words, either Jehovah Yireh or Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What a story. What a story. Let's pray. Father, take this scripture and make it alive in our heart and in our soul this morning. Speak to us, Lord. We're going to, we give you permission. Lord, I want to go a little further than that. We desire for you to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And I pray you can say amen. Wow, what a story. I got a question, I don't normally do this. How many of you as a child were involved in church or went to a vacation Bible school or Sunday school and were taught this story as a child? Could I see a raise of hands? Okay, it looks like most everyone pretty powerful story. Well, you know what? I've known this story my whole life as well. And um, actually, 
Even this morning, God was giving me some new insights on it, and I want to share. I got so much to share, I don't know if I'll get it in, but I'm so excited about it. So, how will you do, as I said earlier, and how have you done, and how have I done, when God brings us to the place of sacrifice? And I'll give you some thoughts on your outline there, first of all. Great lives are built through a few defining moments, through a few defining moments. So, Brother Crane, defining, that's your first answer. The life of any person of success from superstar people that are truly successful, and I don't mean YouTube and Hollywood people that got discovered or even folks in Nashville, Motown, or wherever. I'm not talking about that, but unbelievable folks will tell you. You know, leaders, tremendous writers and thinkers, and I will tell you that there were some defining moments. In fact, in your life, even if you're young, up to this point, you can remember some defining moments where you made a decision and your life went this way. Moments that, that are real critical. And all of us of, of success will have defining moments. Some we wish we could go back and redo, you know. But we're not talking so much about the past. We're talking about what are we willing to do right now. And God's saying to Abraham, you followed me. You, you've been up and down, but you followed me. You are a man of faith, and your faith is amazing. And I want to know if you're going to follow me all the way 100%. And that kind of affects us today. So God's going to take us to places in our life. If you get close to him and you seek him, I'm telling you, he's done it to me. I know he's done it to most all of us in this room. He's going to bring us to a place where we're going to have to make a decision. Is it me or is it God's way? Am I truly going to trust? Am I truly going to have faith? You're going to face a time when God asks, are you going to walk with me? Are you going to really, really walk with me? Is it talk or is it walk? What is it? Notice your scripture there, James 1, 12, 14. Not the most famous or popular scripture in the world. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. There is no normal human being that's going, I'm being tempted, praise Jesus. Oh, trials, I love them, whoa, you know. I, even I have to, I have to sometimes go, when it's bad, I mean, I'm upset. I'm passionate, I'm emotional, I don't like it. But I have to go, God, it's going to be real interesting right now to see how you're going to work success in this mess. Sometimes I made my own mess. Sometimes I didn't make my mess. My kids might have made my mess. My friends might have made my mess. Yeah, but this is saying God blesses those. It doesn't say you have to go rah, 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 it's great. Afterward, what's going to happen? We will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember... When you're being tempted, do never say, God tempted me. God does not tempt. God is never tempting to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desire, which entices us and drags us away. Amen. We know it's within us. God does not tempt us. And uh, actually, I didn't make clear on the outline, but the, the quotes by F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer was a famous pastor preacher, writer, 75 plus books, friends of uh, Moody and all. He, he was in England and ended up pastoring for many, many years, Christ Church there. Uh, and he, he says, Satan tempts us to draw out all the evil within us. But God doesn't tempt, he tests. That's different. God tests us to draw out all the good. Now I want you to think about it. When, when Satan tempts us, it's going to make you worse. It's going to make, if you fall, it's going to make you weak. The more you're tempted, the more you're tempted. With Satan, it's all about bringing you down. With God, it's all about making us better and stronger. When we're tested in the small things, remember the money. You know, if you can handle the little things, then God can trust you with bigger things and better things. It's to prepare you. You don't take a soldier, uh, you know, who's playing, what's the craziest hot war game on Xbox? Oh my God, call to duty. Okay, don't ever, I'm not recommending, I'm just telling you it's probably selling like unbelievable. Okay, it's like on call to duty 25 now or something. I don't know. Okay, 
You get your kid and you let him play Call of Duty and then you go put him in a real war. No, it ain't gonna happen, okay? You prepare them, you get them through stages. And if anybody's been through boot camp, they try to break you down and you get through stages and you get to where at some point you just say, yes, sir, sir, sir. You don't even know what they're telling you to do. You just, you're broken and you just go, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. You know, and there's a reason that soldiers are young, I might add, that we send to the front, front lines, you know, and we, we can conquer the world. And, you know, the testing that comes allows, well, like during that, that testing, when that struggle's there, those of us that love the Lord are going to seek him. We're going to depend on him. It's going to add power to us. It's not a place you stay at. It's a time, a defining moment where we, we get close to God. And that's what I wanted to say. Great lives have defining moments. And obviously for Abraham, this was a very defining moment. Number two, sometimes we must wrestle with God alone. And I really needed to mention this. Sometimes we must wrestle with God alone. Notice Abraham had all kinds of family servants. He was a billionaire, okay? He was very rich. God had blessed him amazing ways. He travels with an entourage. He has security, okay? He's got it all. And at one point, if you know when it got to the place where he was at Mount Moriah there, the mountain uh, to surrender, he had to climb that mountain by himself. And there's some places where your best friend, your spouse, who I hope is your best friend, but if you have a spouse, but your best friend, your pastor cannot go with you. Your parent can't go with you. Your child can't go with you. I might want to go with you. If you're going through a tough time and Brother Carvin knows this and anybody that's been in the ministry, Brother Crane, anybody. There's been times you ache for your people. You want to go through it with them. There's times as a parent you said, I wish this wasn't happening to my kid. I want to go through it. You know what I mean? That's exactly how it is. But here's what I want to tell you. You might want to go through and all that, but there's a time when you, you have to go through it yourself. Even you Star Wars fans should know that Yoda told Luke, you got to go in the cave alone. By the way, there's so much in Star Wars that's from the Bible, it's unbelievable. If you got any theological understanding of that. Now, it's not the Bible. <laughs> they make that clear. And I'm not saying that you should get involved in that or get your, your uh, go to one of the co comic cons and wear your uniform or whatever. I'm not saying that. Okay. I have a quote there. Though God has called us to live in community, what I mean is in the body here at Cypress Street, and he has, and those of you who are here today and at home, I know you miss, and it will, I'm just by face in, in three or four months, this is over, and we're going to be able to hug, and we're going to get double hugs and triple hugs, and it's going to be back like it used to be. I pray that happens. We need one another. You won't grow without one another. You've got to have the body of Christ. God chose the foolishness of preacher, pre, of a preacher like me and the foolishness of preaching to get the word across, right? And, and yet he's also chosen that when we live in a family, we rub each other the right way, the wrong way. We grow, we love. That is so important. But here's what I want to say. You must confront God individually. You cannot have a relationship with God, parents, grandparents, listen to me, based on your daddy or your mama's faith. I see that too much as a university professor for years, and I, I don't want to pick on a certain town, but there's a certain town we have two or three churches in, and they would come and move to Monroe and go... Uh, go to church, and of course they'd be coming to North Crossing some, and, and I taught many of them at the university because, you know, they knew of me or me or whatever, and they would take my class. And a lot of them would get there, and I'm telling you, many of them, their faith was based on their parents and their grandparents. That is amazing. Have that kind of faith. Pass that faith on. But we fail if we don't encourage our children, and if we don't ourselves even as a child of a generation or generation of pastors or whatever, I and you have to develop your own personal relationship with God and your own personal faith based on times of trial, testing, struggling, 
all those things. You can't live on papa and mamma and whatever's faith. You gotta have your own. And I know that's not popular, but that's important. Jesus says, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be your disciple. That's pretty clear. You got to take up your, and you know what? The sin that so easily besets Ray Owens, the one that tempts me is not the one that tempts you. Each of us, in fact, I'll go ahead and tell you this, in your life, what used to tempt me when I'm 18 might not tempt me when I'm 38 or 58 or 68 or 78 or 88 or 108. You see what I'm saying? But whatever that sin is that easily besets us, it's so important that we have that personal relationship with God that we allow him to give us the power to fight that and to come alongside us and strengthen us. So you can't do it with, a, you know, you've got to wrestle sometimes with God alone. Thirdly, God will never settle to be among the things you love. He wants to be above the things you love. Isn't that rhyme? It's kind of cool. Amen. That's a powerful thing. You can say amen to that. God will never settle to be among the things you love. He wants to be above the things you love. I stole that, by the way. Best things I've ever said, I stole. Abraham had a lot of possessions, but there was one possession. He, he had two sons. You know that story. We've covered it. But there's one possession he had above all others that meant the most to him. I can understand this. I can feel this. You know, you love all your kids. You do all this. But this was the miracle child. This was the promise. And at 100, you got him. You know what I'm saying? This, this, is, this is something. And so God comes along and says, do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me more than that miracle child? I know a youth pastor who had a friend who was a car wholesaler, and uh, the car wholesaler got a new toy. It was a Porsche. Uh, it was a red one. It was in the driveway. It was worth more than the house, the youth pastor's house, where he pulled up to visit him and show it. And, and the young youth pastor said at that time, man, I'd give anything to have a car like that. And the wife said, really? That's... Sometimes, how many of you know sometimes your spouse can have a way of kind of taking the fizzle out of, you know, but also get you back on track? Do you love me more than, than that? You'd give anything? Even me? And of course, the response is, oh, honey, oh, no, 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 not at all that, you know. By the way, honey, what color do you want? <laughs> That's a smart man. Flip that back around, you know. My wife is a sweetheart. I mean, she literally is Dorothy from Kansas. She is a sweetheart. She can click her shoes and that, we're going, okay? I guarantee you that. But I'll tell you what, she's funny that way. She expects me to love her first above all my possessions. She's not going to tolerate it to be second. And I want to tell you something. God will not tolerate very long being second in my life or your life. It's God number one. God's designed it in such a way that life works best when you place him number one. Now, pastor, you just said that your wife wants to be number one. Let me tell you about my wife has learned that if God's number one in my heart as a man and really truly number one, then my, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to love her better. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to be a better father, a better husband, a better human being, and a whole lot more fun to be around. And not the jerk that I can be. Because I've got some jerk sales, and I'm not going to be critical, but every one of you have jerk sales too. Those jerk sales that just jerk up every now and then, just kind of come out. You try to hold them down, but they just come out. And things are said that that wasn't from the Spirit of God. No, it was a jerk sale, sister. I remember promise keepers, and no doubt, I love what John Maxwell said. He said, uh, it's real humbling to us pastors and national leaders when God calls a football coach from Colorado 
to lead a movement that was very powerful and very amazing. And it was. And God called uh, Coach Mac, and he starts this movement. It was a God thing. And I remember going to it, and there, were, there was uh, some women's movements protesting that their husbands, you know, were going in this. It was a men's only group. I remember the, I went to many of them. But, and had many amazing uh, experiences in it and saw amazing things. I can tell you some stories that make chills, but I can't go there and finish the sermon. And that is, I was in Little Rock, I think, this time, and, 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 and I remember coming out and there was these women protesting. And I, I mean, the Spirit of God, you know, you wanted to say something, but the Spirit of God came on me and said, bless their hearts. That's Southern for they're messed up, Okay. Uh, they don't have a clue because I'll tell you what, this man and all the men I took came back wanting to worship our wives after promise keepers because we went there and God spoke to us and we realized how we fall and fail as men and how we should be better and we were really honoring our wives. In fact, my wife was like, can you go to promise keepers? When's it connects to coming up? I'll buy your ticket. You know what I'm saying? You get my point? Have you discovered, I wonder, any of you understand what I'm talking about? Am I like, you know, have you discovered we'll never be able to love our spouse, our kids, our wives, or you that are not married yet, your future spouse? You'll never be able to love them the way it's the best until you love God first. That's got to be above all. Matthew 10, 37, Jesus made it clear. This is Jesus. This isn't Paul. This isn't Ray. This is Jesus. If you love your father and mother more than you love me, you're not worthy to be mine. And if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy to be mine. Boy, that's pretty crazy. So I've got a quote there. With God, anything less than preeminence is pretense. God must be preeminent in all things. He's already preeminent in all of creation. You all know this probably, but sometimes Google it. Lamelin. Lamelin. If you ever Google that, lamellin is the intermolecular cell structure item that holds cells together. If you Google it, Google a electron microscope picture of lamellin. Do you know what it looks like? It's a cross. Yeah, sure. And remember, even God talks about in Christ, he holds all things together. And it literally looks like a cross. I mean, I just, that's just coincidence. Yeah, there's just 3,000 other coincidences, but that's just coincidence. It's amazing. Last lesson, probably the most difficult to understand and definitely the toughest for me to preach. Abraham discovered only in the fullness of our surrender, fullness, do we discover the greatness of his grace. Okay, let me get a couple things here ready. In a minute, I'm going to have you look back at your scripture as well. Pull mine out. All right, only in the fullness of our surrender do we discover the greatness of his grace, God's grace. I want to discuss the sacrifice a little bit. Um, Give you a little context as well. When we read about God calling us out to put a human on a sacrifice or a child on a sacrifice of an altar, that's pretty appalling to us, and it should be. However, if you understand Abraham's culture, there were tons of gods, and these gods were not alive, and they were not personal, and they were dead. They were not real. But those gods called them in his culture, many of them, to put their children in sacrifice. And I mean, only until recently, anybody knows anything about international missions knows that there were several uh, groups and tribes and cults and, and all that tend to sacrifice their children uh, as well. In fact, satanic worshipers are known to be doing that even today. And Abraham's just getting to know God and God asked him to do what all the other gods would do. But God was talking to Abraham, I'm not like other gods. I'm going to do things differently. And I thought about that and I said, you know what? We think that's appalling. And then all of a sudden it hit me. Sometimes we do that ourselves. 
So you think, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? So I, I jotted down a couple things. So if we give our children today and or we give our grandchildren today over to this world, who is the king of this world? I'm talking worldly things. Who? God? No. Okay. If we give our kid over to worldly things, we, we just get them into Hollywood. We get them into Nashville. We get them into Motown. I want to be culturally everybody, okay? Every kind of music, every kind of genre, music. You know, we're into Netflix. You know, we're, whatever it is, we're, we're all into that. That's, I mean, I'm not saying there's good in that. There's wonderful in that. There's great. But I'm saying we push that. And we get them into this natural, material, me generation and culture that's overwhelming them. And we push that and we push that to the God of this world. And then they're given up, they're sacrificed, if you will. They're hurt, they're destroyed by being given over to that. Does that make sense? We've sacrificed our children by giving them to that world. What's going to be their joy? It's temporary at best. I mean, I think a drug's a good example of that or any other thing. Yes, you, there's drugs you take that would make you feel wonderful. You'll lose every negative thing. It's great, but it's temporary and it has tons of side effects. How many of you know drugs you take for medical reasons are the same way? You know, it, it happens as well. Or if we give them 100% over to God, this is real important, church members, we give them a, our children over 100% to God with joy in that giving, okay? Joy in taking them to church, joy in the sacrifice that's all involved in getting our children just as dedicated to keeping our children in the body of Christ or in church or in Christian activities as we would if we were in travel ball. Whoa, uh-oh. Or as we are in any other activity, if it's first God and we spend all that time and it's sacrifice on our part to do that, it is. Then what kind of children are we going to raise? What if our God then gives them a personal calling, a purpose in life, a grace, a peace, a peace that passes all understanding so their whole life, no matter what happens, God's with them and there's a peace. Not a peace Hollywood gives. What about the blessings? Not money, but an eternity in glory or in heaven and maybe money. You know, it might be a blessing that to give, to be able to give and help others. That's one of the joys of that. A peace that passes all understanding. Our God does not take life. Our God gives life. And I thought about that in John 10, 10. What does the thief come to do, the God of this world? He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, if that isn't clear to you, I feel like Bush right now, read my lips, no new taxes or something, right? Devil, Satan, the, the forces of evil come to kill, steal, and destroy. And I almost want to add to that, but it will be presented so amazingly classy, beautiful. The killing and stealing and destroying will be just painted beautifully. So you walk right into it mesmerized, you know, like you're on the screen, you know. But what do I do? I come to give life, and not just life and heaven one day, here now, life more abundantly. So let's don't sacrifice our children or our grandchildren. God's speaking to you. I don't know what that is, but I'm telling you, do not sacrifice them on the altar of what the world wants you to give them to. Sacrifice to give them to God. Now going on with Abraham in this story, God says, I'm the God who provides a sacrifice. He stopped him. And this is cool because you're going to see this is never going to happen if he was faithful anyway, if you really study it. But what does God do? He provides a sacrifice. Abraham just happened to turn and being like ding, 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 there happens to be a ram, ram with his horns caught in the bush. That's a God thing, by the way. How many of you have had things happen in your life and you looked at it and after you thought about it a little bit, what's the probability of that? That's a God thing. You see what I'm saying? God will provide. He's always going to provide. So what did Abraham dis discover? The Lord will provide. 
God was Jehovah Yireh, the God who will provide. God provided faith in his life and he learned what faith is. Great story of him when you look at faith. God provided strength. And, and by the way, strength for the journey. Think about this. Do you not think when Abraham's walking, he's going, it's the good ship, lollipop, while he's going with his son? No way. It was tough, man. There was some thinking. God allows you to question him. God wants you to struggle with him. Remember Jacob wrestling with God. That's okay, but he was faithful and he kept going. God provided grace for the surrender to be able to do that. God provided the sacrifice for our salvation. God asks hard things, and he has to be preeminent in everything. But as we surrender, God will give us grace that is amazing beyond anything we can imagine. So this morning, if God asks you to give up something like money, that's to me not a big deal. What if God asks you to give up a job or career? And he did that to me. I became a psycho pastor instead of a psychologist. Still a little psycho. God might ask you to give up a relationship. On the outside, sometimes I can look at a relationship, and I've been many, many times I've been with somebody, and I've actually seen some folks I'm very proud of. Well, I've been dating her for 20 years, not 20, but you know, all through college and high school. Well, is there joy in the relationship? Because I sure don't see it. Well, not really, but we're just going to get married. I'm like, oh, no. Uh-uh. You know? But remember, they have to walk their journey, so a lot of times I get on my knees and I pray. Grandparents, parents, you get on your knees and pray. In fact, you ought to be praying right now for your kids and your grandkids that God would provide the right person. Because you marry the right person, that's awesome. The struggles are even awesome. You marry the wrong person, and it's a taste of what the place is you go to if you don't know God. I'm just telling you. Boy, Pastor, you're kind of getting crazy. Yes, I am. God may ask you to give up something. Are you willing to give up a relationship? Are you, you know, if it's toxic, give it up. I'm just saying. But if God asks for something, here's what I want you to know. His grace is sufficient and you will be blessed beyond anything. Study the Bible from beginning to end. Every time somebody gave up something and it got bad, Job, whatever, wherever it went, unbelievable places, they always end up being blessed more than they can ever imagine. Can you outgive God? No. <laughs> I guarantee you, it's impossible. Jehovah Yireh, God will provide. Abraham, to God, Abraham provided a ram. You know what he provided for you and I? Jesus Christ, his son. So now look at your scripture, and we're going to close with this as we look at this. It says, Jehovah Jireh on your outline always provides the sacrifice. Have you accepted his provision? Well, here's what I want you to look at a couple things. In verse 2, I want you to think about this as if Abraham's God. Take your son, your only son who you love so much. Who did God give up? His only son, the son he loved so much. If there's not a, a parallel or analogy there, I don't know what it is. Okay, by the way, where is he to go? Mount Moriah is the temple mount in Jerusalem later. The same place where Abraham is to sacrifice Isaac is where Jesus Christ is to be sacrificed. Same basic place. I'm talking physical place. Wow, what an analogy. Secondly, I told you in verse 5 as you were reading, when he talked to his uh, family and his servants, he says, we're going to go up, we're going up there alone, we're going to worship, and we will be right back. That's faith. In other words, we're going to come back. I believe with all my heart, Abraham had faith that even if he killed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. He had that faith. And what did Jesus have to have faith in? Faith that his father, after he was, and let me just make something clear to me. So much as I know theology, Jesus was deader than a doornail. It wasn't a fake death. He was dead. Dead, dead. It was God the Father that worked the miracle that raised him from the dead. 
And all God has to do is say life and it's done. He doesn't need to mix chemicals. He doesn't need to have potions. It's like scientists saying, well, we got DNA going on. I mean, I love to mix it with scientists. I mean, I kind of was one. I love it. I used to teach science at the university and the science method. I know a lot about it. God's given me a blessing. And they would always talk about this. And I said, well, that's fine. You just come up with your own ingredients and you can do whatever you want to. But God made the ingredients you're playing with. And by the way, the knowledge that you think you have, what little of it is, it's God's plan. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing how that works. And then keep going. Look down there at verse, I told you about Mount Moriah. Jesus was resurrected, and of course God stopped because of that sacrifice. And I just started seeing, and there's many more, I could go on and on. Isaac is almost like a representation of Abraham, what he put Abraham through and what he went through. is almost like God with his own son, Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? A sacrifice for us. So God provided Abraham that ram and, you know, the sacrifice was made. God provided us the son, Jesus Christ. God provided. When there wasn't a way, he made a way. For me and you. Oh, but my sin is terrible. I mean, I'm a turbo jerk. I mean, it's been bad. I don't even want to think about the things I've done. Big deal. That is, I'm sorry, but it's covered. The sacrifice has been paid. The price has been paid. Have we accepted the sacrifice? Or do we keep trying to kill the child, if you will, versus taking the sacrifice? I think some of us in faith keep trying to go through that over and over again versus taking the lamb, taking that gift upon ourselves. Wow. God didn't make Abraham give his son, but he willingly gave his for me and for you. How much does God love you? I heard something a while back. If you ever, Satan starts getting to you and getting you down and you don't think you're worth too much and you mess up a lot, just remember this. I'll just say it for me, not you. I cost God too much and he paid too much to save me, to forget me. He remembers all my mess and how much I caught him, it cost him and how much I hurt him and he ain't gonna forget me. And that's a joy for me to remember. So this could be a defining moment for you. So let's act as if we're doing communion. We're socially distancing. We're not going to do communion. But what do we do in communion? One of the things the Word of God says, Paul makes it really clear. When you do communion, you go in the presence of God, I think you bow your heads, and what before you is the cup that represents the blood and the bread that represents the Bible body of Jesus Christ, this sacrifice. It's talking about the sacrifice and you accepting eating the body and drink the blood. It's a symbol of the sacrifice that Christ gave. And by the way, it's not just in this with Isaac. It's later in Egypt. It's, it's, it was in Egypt. You know, it was in Egypt as well with the Passover. You know, look through the Bible all the times. And I want you to think about that and think about this. Paul says, as you do that, let a man or woman examine themselves. And I've never tried to do communion without examining myself and saying, God, speak to me. I know I'm unworthy for this. And also to have a spirit of appreciation. For God is Jehovah Jireh. He provides. What do you need? He's the provider. He's probably already provided it. We just need to open our eyes and see. Remember when the prophet Isaiah prayed for his servant when they were surrounded? Open the servant's eyes. And when the servant's eyes were opened, God had already provided, there was like 10,000 angels on fire. If you know what an angel looks like, by the way, angels are not like what we portray them. I don't want to bust anybody's bubble at Christmas, but they're, they're beings that are on fire. They're scary. What's the first words that come out of an angel's mouth when you see one? Fear not. Because they're on fire. They're not beautiful. They're not little cuties. and You know, I mean, they're on fire. They're powerful. They're amazing. And they saw 
thousands of them. In other words, if God wanted to, Jesus could have called how many? 10 million billion. I mean, all the angels. And all it took, by the way, I always loved that. He just needed to call one. Gabriel, could you take care of this? I can't take it no more. That's all it would have took. But he didn't. How much does he love you? You better walk out of this place, and it's not even raining. There's a blessing. Walk out of this place today. I don't care who you are. You better, no matter what was said, walk out of this place knowing you were loved. Knowing you were loved. You're loved, you're loved, you're loved. The sacrifice, the provision, the grace, the continuation of his love is amazing. Amazing. Would you pray with me? Father, we bow and we examine ourselves. Your Holy Spirit has already spoken to our hearts. And there's, there's some things you've done with us. You've, you've had us think about what our number one possession is. And God, that may be something amazing and awesome, and that's great. But Lord, maybe we need to make sure it's not above you. Maybe about some relationships with very special people in our life and make sure that you're our priority. God, let us examine ourselves. Are you number one? Are you preeminent in our life? Every now and then we need to readjust. And oh God, as we sing and as we confess and as we pray, may we again confess you as number one because you first loved us. You gave us life. The only reason we're here today is because of your life. You love us. You're powerful. Oh God, may we be empowered by your spirit to live a life worthy. May we be empowered by your spirit to also raise our children in such a way we're not sacrificing them to the world. But Lord, we're sacrificing our time and energy to build the kingdom of God. We want to be your ambassadors. Help us to be better ambassadors. Oh God, may all of us feel your presence and your joy. Lord, if there's something between us and you, I pray we confess it because if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and not just forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a joy. We can walk out clean. Thank you for that, God. And thank you for these people as a priest that stands in the gap right now, Lord, I pray blessings upon every soul in this place and on the internet that hears this at the time they hear it. May your spirit anoint them. May you give them blessings. May there be nothing said through this message that doesn't do anything but draw them closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.